0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the UX Research Rundown podcast. My name is Henrik Matson. I am the CEO of Lookback and your host for this show, which is now in its second season. Uh, on this show, we talk about my favorite problem, which is how to bring people. Uh, along on the journey that is research, because, of course, the whole point of doing research is that we, as a team, are going to be able to uh, build better experiences and everything. Uh, with me today, I have my guest, Claudia Natasha, who is the head of, uh, no, director of insights uh, at Highspot, and also known from the learners, uh, the UX Anywhere conference uh, in New York, where you gave a fantastic speech about how to measure the impact like financially of uh, research, which is a very cool and unique and much-needed perspective. So super happy to, to have you with us uh, today. Um, and we'll start, uh, as we always do, by just getting your origin story a little bit. So if you could just start by kind of, you know, uh, how did you get into research? When did you realize that, hey, I'm a researcher? <laughs> and how did that come about? And like, what has your journey been?
1: So I started in research, actually. When when I'm thinking about my origin, it goes beyond that. My family, my parents were entrepreneurs and they work in banking. And so I grew up going to all of these different banks like Citibank. And while my mom's finishing up a deal on the 24th floor, I'm sometimes with her, sometimes eating ice cream in the lobby. But I've always been surrounded in the world of finance. And that's what made me interested in finance just because out of exposure alone, And when I worked in finance in college and after college for a little bit, some of the clients I worked with were tech clients. And some of the people I talked to were in UX teams. And so I naturally transitioned into UX because I think one thing that finance did not have back then is the ability to interact with users, the ability to tell user stories. And as I learned more about the UX field, I realize that I'm drawn to that and not just the number or the numbers. And that's what made me think also about how to integrate both worlds together with the hard numbers that we have. How can we utilize those numbers to tell user stories in a way that's meaningful, even more meaningful to their lives?
0: Mm, interesting. And and how I have to ask, because I found your 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 talk on this and kind of just also discussing a little bit with you. um, at the conference, I, I find it so uh, fascinating. You know I'm an economist by training and I love this kind of stuff. But how do people receive this this approach of like trying to put numbers on 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 the research?
1: That's a great question. At first, they are skeptical. And actually, every single new person I've interacted with is always skeptical. And even when I encourage my team, every time I join a new company and I join a new team, they're also skeptical. <laughs> is, is this something you can <laughs> do? Are you sure? And I think somewhere along the line of conversations after repeated interaction and bringing them into the journey of research and doing this properly, they develop trust and then they also become advocates that I've now even seen a friend of a friend or a friend of a coworker that has never met me. But then I meet them at a conference or an event and they said, hey, so-and-so said that they work with your team. And that they have this new perception of research. And we're also integrating it in our company. And I've never talked to them before. So seeing that people are now becoming advocates when they started as skeptics has been amazing.
0: Mm. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's, for me, you know, when people, I've met this kind of stereotype, I guess, as an economist, where people think like, oh, you don't really care about people, you care about, like, numbers and stuff like that. But when you talk to economists... It's like well, no, it's the it's people that's what it's all about. It's like human beings doing stuff, like and and outcomes being produced. So, uh, I find it. I, I'm glad that you're here and and taking uh, taking this perspective and bringing it to this to these conferences and everything. And you know, we were talking a bit before. I'd love to see at one point like a a, cal- a model for calculating the uh, you know the financial impact of engagement, stakeholder engagement in research, and kind of the uh, of bringing people along on the journey so uh you know we'll, we'll see if we talk a little bit about that in the podcast or not but so i'm asking all my guests to just kind of bring their experience and kind of if they have any advice this podcast is very much for people who are kind of coming into research or perhaps like it move changing roles and everything in research leadership right so um could you share like some of your initial thoughts when you think about bringing people along on the on the journey and like stakeholder engagement and everything what comes to mind what are some of the challenges what are some of the experiences that stick stand out for you
1: The first thing i think about is the different types of stakeholders that we have so if you work in a UX research team you'd immediately think about designers and product managers as your main stakeholders And in the earlier parts of my career, I focused most of my impact on working better with product managers, on influencing the thinking of designers and product managers. But since then, I realized that the power of research shouldn't just be limited to design and product. And the reason we're thinking about what companies care about right now, especially in this economic downturn, is building and growing efficiently. Companies are going back to fundamentals and great accounting to make sure that they survive this period of market uncertainty and thrive after. And if the company as a whole is solving this larger problem of better fundamentals, then the questions that researchers have to ask to remain relevant and insightful to the company extends beyond just what makes a good product or what makes a good design. It's how can all of these, how can I empower all of the organizations in my company to execute more efficiently. And so the questions my team has started asking is, for example, are we marketing the right content to people? Can we collaborate with our marketing team to ensure sure that, that we are utilizing the right content and we are targeting the right persona? In the past, in my past companies, we've run studies where we measure the effectiveness of, of messaging and we measure the of different persona groups and we do segmentation alongside marketers as well. And going back to your question, then it really depends on the types of people that we want to bring in the journey and also how we want to empower those people to to utilize the insights that we use in a way that's most effective to them. Whereas a designer, you'd bring them to like, let's say a concept testing to observe the study for a marketer you'd want to make sure that they inherently understand like why their positioning is not working, why something else would work. So then they would be involved also in the design of the study and, and so on. So it it really depends on who the stakeholders are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, it's interesting because I, I, I do think when I kind of look back at the discussions I've had with research leaders, we tend to, uh, Perhaps because they came from mostly like product very product like led companies and stuff like that. We tend to think about research as something that is like intimately connected to to product and design, right? And, and it should be, right? But so how how do you are, are the stakeholders that you're talking about, like the broader stakeholders, because sometimes then people can also think, oh, okay, it's product and design, and I should also probably get a foot in with leadership because that's good. But like so are are there any specific things that you've noted with kind of working with marketing or like some of these other things that that are, that are like fundamentally different, or is it just the same thing that, well, of course, are they different in the same way that like an engineer and a designer uh, are different, or, or is this like a special group?
1: Yeah, it's, I think every single group is special. And the one thing that I'll say is we often talk about a company being a product-led growth company or a sales-led growth company. The approach that I usually encourage my teams to take is how can we be a user led growth company? And the reason why a user led growth company is important, especially in this market, is right now with if you work, let's say, for a B2B or a software as a service enterprise tech, all of these companies are trying to cut down costs and reduce spending on tools. So the best way to retain customers is to really make your customers your advocate. So if it's a user led growth, not sales led growth, then the users are the one that's like helping grow your product. And because of that, I think that's the narrative that aligns well with all of the stakeholders regardless of where they are. If we are collaborating with engineering on let's say a user research study to the most interesting one I've done actually is a user research study on Kubernetes. It's an internal study to find out how we can make the deployment process more efficient for fellow engineers. And I've mentioned the marketing study as well. So regardless of who the people are, if we fit fit the discussion under this narrative of how can we shift to be a user-led growth company? How can we help our users become advocates of our product and therefore drive revenue that's more sustainable for our company? That narrative tends to be consistent and received across all of the different teams.
0: Mm. Super interesting. I was uh, I was recording another episode of this season with uh, with John Cutler, who is kind of product manager researcher <laughs> guy, uh, and he was talking about how like one challenge for uh, research teams is that there are already other teams in place doing some of these things that don't see themselves as research teams. And kind of as you start expanding into the organization, and it sounds like you're doing like all sorts of like internal stuff with engineer on deployment processes and everything. So uh, has that been your experience too, that there's kind of like this, how is it received when you're kind of expanding your territory, so to speak into the, into the organization?
1: Originally, to be honest, it really depends. Originally, sometimes there might be hesitation because at the end of the day, I was actually chatting with with someone about this the other day. At the end of the day, we are humans and we operate sometimes in a very territorial way where we might think like, hey, is someone stealing my job? Or are you the right person to do this job? But at the end of the day, I think what really is a selling point for the research team, especially if they want to expand their impact, is the methodologies that we provide. And it depends, depending on the type of research team you're in, But if you build your user research stack with a combination of both quantitative and qualitative methodologies, and you encourage your research team to also ask questions and act as shareholders of the company, and actually ask questions about company financials, company growth, then one, you speak the same language as these cross-functional partners, so you can relate to them, and they know that you're on their side. And two, with the unique methodologies that you bring... You, you provide a fresh perspective and a like an additional way to look at the data. The way I think about it is like statistics. When you build a regression model, you want to try to find the right amount of input that ends up being representative of the world that you're trying to model. If you only have one input, like let's say a Gartner report, that's not enough. If you have too many inputs, the model it becomes noisy. So researchers should really position this as a unique input that actually makes whatever model, whatever analysis, whatever insights you're trying to deliver to the company, a comprehensive representation of the world.
0: Right. Oh, super interesting. So I start thinking immediately about Prior, because on these discussions that I've had with people now about engagement and everything, there there are kind of two stories depending on research maturity almost in the in the organization. One is like you're starting with a pretty low research maturity, and you're and you have to fight to even get like engagement from your first stakeholder, right? Let's say you're starting in the in the product team or something like that, and then as you succeed on this journey, and that's that's a whole episode in itself, exactly how to do this, you uh you very quickly it very quickly pivots to a situation where there's so much demand for your research that you you have to prioritize pretty pretty hardly and and, and these discussions I've had with people there are people who have not expanded into these other kind of stakeholder groups in the company so how do you manage like prioritization uh across the across the limited resources that you have when when you take this ambitious approach
1: That's a really great question I do it in two ways. The first is hiring. So the way I hire is hire researchers that specialize in particular areas. Right now we have this one amazing researcher who she specializes in market research while also doing UX research. So her whole job is to integrate UX research methods into marketing and go-to-market opportunities. Now, I realize that hiring might not be the best advice, especially in this market as companies cut costs. So of course, with the limited resources that you have, uh, the second way I do this is to align all initiatives, not just to the like our own goals, but to the company-wide KRs, the company-wide OKRs or the company-wide goals. And doing so that way allows us to prioritize the same way other teams prioritize. It's kind of we're not a, a, a service organization, we're not in, in response to requests, but we are also prioritizing our own initiative against the company objectives. And a third way I've seen this work as well is to develop a work cycle where the cycle of research is earlier from the cycle of development, as in both of course, for like more evaluative research, we'd want a design or a product to actually test. But for generative work, doing it ahead and being part of the planning helps because then all of the insights are ready before they are being used. So create the cycle of we're thinking about an illustration of, of cogs and wheels. You're the one that's like really powering all of the other wheels and cogs spinning.
0: Right right interesting so and is this um oh so many questions um uh, i'm i'm also very interested in kind of like the limits of research leadership responsibility vis-a-vis other things, right? So I think you're saying it, and that's right, that it's it's not like a service function, even if it does this internal thing. It also has this strategic responsibility to as a function to kind of say to do this prioritization and everything. But that's kind of another layer of layer of uh engagement, right, in and, and collaboration around that. Like who are your stakeholders and partners in in that strategic kind of prioritization of of research time and you know who do you work with is that directly with with leadership or like who who is it <laughs> name names no you don't have to name names but you know what i mean yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yes so i've always structured my team to work directly with leadership in the sense that Every single person in the executive team has equal say into what the research team should work on. And me as a research leader, I also have an equal say in pushing back and saying like, hey, while you think this is important, I actually think that this could, if if my team focuses on this, this could help forecast something else that would be even more important. And the equal say part is super imperative when you want to build a impactful research function. Because if one team, like let's say product management, has more of a say compared to design, compared to marketing, compared to even finance, then you'd always do things and prioritize things in service of product. And you will never find time to actually do things that you want to do to help serve other teams.
0: Oh, super interesting, guys. So... Oh, so many questions! How to prioritize? This is very meta because that's what we're talking about, right? The, so, so when do you, <laughs> if you're, I think when people hear this, that like, uh, you know, to break out of, not that there's anything wrong with with the product research part i think that that's not what we're saying here at all but to break out into this broader function i think that's a pretty exciting future for research and i've I've talked to other research leaders who are who've said that that i think that's kind of the future we need to actually stop being like typecast into this like we're doing usability testing on product stuff and like actually being this uh this partner um how, how where do you start like let's say now that you you you're not at that level yet where this is something that you do and everything like what are can you show us kind of the 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 step by step roadmap towards like breaking out of the of the usability testing <laughs> box and and becoming this broader thing?
1: That's a really great question. i I want to caveat it by saying that the it, it's like a learning curve. Or a hockey stick chart where the first few months, or even sometimes a year, of trying to break out of an original process will be very difficult. So in my experience, getting people comfortable, getting stakeholders comfortable with what you can do more of is the first step. While you're maintaining your original process of running usability tests, running concept tests, begin proving to stakeholders that there's other valuable research methods. A great way to do this is when you do a usability test, start tying a usability insight to a finance result. Let's say you're doing a usability test on a like a, a change in the UI of a particular feature. And if you do if you do change that UI, you find out that let's say 20% more users can actually do the action that you want it to do. What does that 20% of users translate to from a financial perspective? Maybe that 20% of users translate to, like, let's say, a 50K increase in average revenue per user. So even putting those tiny, tiny tidbits of information on the report starts to build the understanding that the team can do so much more and starts to build that trust. So that's phase one, integrating small elements into your report. Current workflow. And then phase two is starting to suggest studies and then citing like what you did. Hey, remember when I added that thing on the report? We can actually do so much more if I can collaborate with marketing on this go-to-market initiative that they're working on and we can we can test it earlier. And then proving the value that way. So begin inc- incorporating small methodologies and expanding impact to other teams. And then the third is finally when you can actually change your process. And, and dedicate actual resources in the team or actual time in your team's like quarterly roadmap to work on these type of initiatives. The most important thing is really starting with those small steps and proving that, one, you can do it. Two, you're the best team to do this. And three, that it won't impede on work that people are expecting that you would do as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that, I think that last... That last part is uh, is interesting because when I talk to research leaders, there's always that trade off between you know strategic initiative, which is what you're doing here, which is like I think a lot of uh, uh, leaders and managers, if they're if they're good <laughs> and don't have a big ego, they would welcome that. They would be like, oh, f- finally someone who's like thinking about all of these things. So uh, so that's kind of. Uh, that's one part you want to do also building relationships and taking these steps. That's another part. And also like training your team and hiring to be able to spend, that's another part. And it's like, so how do you, how, how do you prioritize like as a research leader, not as a team, but like, do you have a process for this? Like in the morning where you kind of remind yourself of the different things or like, how, how does it, how does it look How does that process look for you?
1: The process really starts at the end of each quarter. So a month before the end of the quarter, which is really that's considered mid-quarter, I begin to think about what would be most impactful, not for the next quarter, but the following quarter. And so I I take my forecast even further in advance and begin planning for the following quarter. And then I'd have one entire quarter to rally my team, to rally the cross-functional partners, to tell them that something is up and that this will influence their future planning. And and that's, I think, the part of my process that has been most helpful is just really thinking ahead and planning two quarters ahead on behalf of my team. Another thing that I'd mention also that's somewhat related to your question is my biggest learning from expanding the impact of my teams beyond just product-specific research and design-specific research is the only way we can do this is if we also make research more accessible to everyone. If researchers' time, if the IC's time is solely focused on running small usability studies or solely focused on writing reports, and we don't make reports easily accessible to everyone, we don't make data easily accessible to everyone, then it'll take up too much of their time that Regardless of how many people I hire, they all will not have time to actually do more strategic work. So part of it is identifying tools, identifying new processes that will mm. allocate more time for researchers to also focus on more strategic work.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that last part is so I've been I've been kind of uh, reflecting on this myself lately because I come from the tooling side, obviously, of this, and, and it's clear to me that tooling is just a small part of it, but it can also be a very important part. And I, I even started like questioning what, what what is the role of the tool? Is it to provide insights, like help teams provide insights quickly, or is it to help teams work in a way so that like everyone is using their time and collaboration in a scalable in a scalable way. It's like it's almost like we're moving into this new. It's like Figma or something like that. Like I don't know if this makes sense, but perhaps I'm just a tool nerd. But it's like we're working in this, uh, We're moving into this place now where technology is at a place and product is at a place where it's it's not collaboration to. The tool doesn't help collaboration towards an end of like an insight or a deliverable or something like that, but actually just fosters collaboration by the way that the tool is worked. And I wonder if that's like what we need to do to to manage to scale up to this very ambitious level that you're... That you're talking about, which I agree is what we we should be doing. So I'd love to have your. Uh, these are just some random thoughts floating around in my head, and I'm not there yet. But kind of, w- w- what are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. The way I see it is, if you've if anyone here has taken a statistics class and you remember having to open the Z table on the back of the textbook to find out the exact Z score and then calculate it manually on a formula on your sheet, that's so annoying. And then now we have a tool like R, it's completely free, you can type two lines of code, and it does all of that to you. But you as the person with the background in statistics knows how to interpret it, you know, the ethics of using it. And you also know how to, how to manipulate it, hopefully not in a, in a you know, negative sense, but manipulate it in a more informative sense. And I really think power of the tool or any tools that we use is to make our jobs more efficient so that we can do more of the interpreting, we can do more of the the influence, we can do more of the strategic thinking beyond the insights that we gain. And as a leader, the type of tools that I look for are the ones that can promise me and have tangible proof that they do help make my teams operate more efficiently.
0: Right. But so on the collaboration part, if I I dig a little bit more on that, what are some of the challenges that you're – how do I ask this question? I agree. I I think what you're – kind of the way that you are – talking about this stuff and the way you're thinking about it I love it because it's ambitious and it's big and it's like I'm sure it has a lot of positive I'm sure it has impact right I also don't think this is a, a very common way of, of working and I think one of the reasons it's not common is because it it uh, it requires quite a lot of of this kind of thinking that you're that you're bringing to the table uh, now right and all of this like planning and and you know patient stuff so do you think this is will there be tools that help research teams think like that and operate like that in the future or do you think that this is just like something that humans have to uh, have to learn if that makes sense as a question
1: yes it does i think i think there will be tools but i also think humans have to learn and i am a fundamental believer and this may be an unpopular opinion so if you If anyone's listening and you think against, I'd I'd love to hear from your perspective as well. But I'm under the, I have the opinion that tools can be, can exist, but people, whether people use them or not, there's always an element of humans that have to really govern the tools, have to encourage people to use the tools, have to learn how to use the tools effectively. And so I think just having a tool will not help humans or leaders or researchers become impactful. Researchers have to take the first step and even like learn, let's say, basic accounting phrases. What is a cost? What is ROE? How do you drive impact? Those are the types of things that you have to learn how to talk about. and You have to change your perspective to want to influence the business as opposed to just your craft. And that part, is really important and what I honestly see is missing currently from our industry because a lot of researchers think about influencing design and product but they don't think like a shareholder if you're a shareholder you want the company to succeed you want the company to generate revenue you want the company to minimize costs and so the type of research work that you do has to target all of those bigger picture questions
0: Mm. yeah no I mean this is with the financial crisis now it's uh uh, it's interesting I had a conversation with one of my researchers and she was kind of you know as, as people do now they worry like how are things going And she just asked me about it like, hey, do I need to like worry about my job? And it was so uh, interesting to me because my uh, it was so obvious to me that no, like I need you now like more than ever. You're not like even if things go badly, like you're you're you're, you're gonna be fine, right? because I need you and and because the uh, the more insecure like the more, uh, the harder it is to predict the landscape and what's going to happen and everything, and and the and the, f- the more kind of cramped your resources are, the more important it is to make better decisions. And to make better decisions, you need research. So it's like there there is clearly this there's clearly this thing there, but it's there's something that doesn't seem to be the way that a lot of companies are thinking about it. And I I wonder why that is. Is this just like we're going to get there or like what's your what's your view on that
1: i am hopeful that we'll get there i think right now a lot of companies follow each other's models when they grow and scale when we think about how we survive in a recession companies are following each other's models of of laying off reducing costs reducing tooling but I'd like to encourage when I talk to, I actually do some startup advising on the side. And when I talk to these startups, I encourage them to think like a hedge fund. You want to get ahead of the game and hedge against opportunities as opposed to just following what the masses are doing. And I think research is that hedge. And it's something that a lot of companies don't notice yet. But when research is done properly, when we have bigger impact, when to your point, we focus on on de-risking our investments and we... Structure our research teams that way. That's the type of research that can really hedge against market uncertainties and help gain revenue faster. Help create gain product market fit faster. I think it's a widely it's a, it's not a widely adopted thought yet, but I am hopeful that it will be soon. And I really think that's the key to building more sustainable companies in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's I've been in this industry for a while now, and I remember like when we started out, like let's say eight. 8 9 years ago or something like uh, most people didn't have research and and they did they, you know you spoke to leaders and they were like oh, i don't need that like it's going fine and then there's like this evolutionary Process happening where people that think like that are just not going to build relevant experiences and product, and I think we're we're getting there. So I do think that this thing will like evolutionarily win at one point because that the other ways don't won't produce as as strong results. But I always kind of I'm hopeful as a as a human being and especially for research that that we don't have to go through the harsh kind of evolutionary journey. We can just perhaps just like learn this and get ahead of the game and actually uh, do something about it. So I hope so. I have another question that's kind of, uh, and, and we're going to have to uh, start. This might be my last question, unfortunately. It's a little bit of a kind of um, um, a departure perhaps from this, but do you think that if we start doing this more like and by this i mean your 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 kind of ambitious big thinking for research in organizations do you think that research will be kept together as a discipline that does this or do you think that it's going to fragment into specialized teams that that do each of these things like will there be like a internal research that does like all the strategy and like marketing stuff and then there's one that's going to still do product and they're not going to be the same or do you think that we'll keep it together as we make this journey?
1: I think the organization in itself will stay together but I think the types of researchers that we hire will be different and I'm starting to that as the case like the backgrounds of researchers 10 years ago used to be hci and now we have people coming from all types of background that are providing so much value i've even done a lot of chats with pms who want to transition to research or data scientists who want to transition to research and that that skill like that for example data scientists bring from more of their quantitative modeling into the UX field is amazing because then you have all of these cool things where you build telemetry against usability. So I think it'll it'll fall under one organization, but it'll have more specialized functions than we have right now. And 10 years in the future, I'm really excited to attend a research conference and actually learn from people doing cool things, like let's say on Web3 with a completely novel approach that isn't how we currently define user research to be.
0: Mm. Awesome. And what do you think what will the research leader of the future look like? Like what what will be their their core set of skills and defining features?
1: That's a really great question. I think it will be less so focused on the right methodology you need to use. And it'll be more focused on how do we drive financial impact? And I'm not just biased because that's my background. (laughs) I really think the research leader will have an equal seat to like the let's say a revenue leader or a product leader and the discussions that you'll have is not not so pushing a research agenda not saying like hey some so and so in my team did this amazing work the discussion the research leader will have is hey we want to grow arr by 20 percent. this is how we do it
0: Mm. yeah love it that w- that would make my job easier so i hope uh, i hope this will be <laughs> the future <laughs> great uh thank you i love uh, you never know what to expect uh, uh, that's what's so cool about having uh, people as guests i never know where these conversations are going to go but i've learned a lot and it made me think uh, bigger about these things and i hope that's uh, that the audience have have had a similar experience so thank you so much for coming uh, on the show and and sharing these perspectives and i'm looking i'm looking forward to hearing that uh, talk on on Uh, the uh, impact of engagement (laughs) in the future. So uh, thank you so much. Happy researching, everyone.
1: Thank you.